I'll be reading this morning from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 8. As Jesus left the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what awesome stones and buildings. Jesus responded, Do you see these enormous buildings? Not even one stone will be left upon another. All will be demolished. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? What sign will show that all these things are about to come to an end? And Jesus said, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many people will come in my name saying, I'm the one. They will deceive many. When you hear of wars and reports of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must happen, but this isn't the end yet. Nations and kingdoms will fight against each other, and there will be earthquakes and famines in all sorts of places. These things are just the beginning of the sufferings associated with the end. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation, and may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. So what I just read to you is called the Little Apocalypse. The book of Mark, all the Gospels, there are different places where there are these apocalyptic texts, these passages of Scripture that are about what we think of as the end time, the, the eschaton, the end. And in Mark's version of the story of Jesus, this is that thing. And so it's called the Little Apocalypse because it's just a small portion of Jesus talking about what has been come, become known as the end. And I don't like preaching these passages of Scripture. They're awkward and they're weird, but I feel like to get to what I want to get to, to finish out what I've been saying the last few weeks, I needed to preach one of these passages of Scripture, and this one stood out as the best one. And, and I, But I don't like it. I don't like it because you all have ideas already about the end times that have been ingrained in your brain by millions of dollars that have been spent by bad theologians about what the end is actually going to look like and about ideas that are really recent ideas that Jesus would have been like, what are you talking about? They wrote series of books about it. They made movies about it. And they play off of our fears of not knowing what the end actually looks like. A few years ago, there was a guy named Harold Camping who spent all of his money, like all of his money, his life savings, the entirety of his retirement, and everything that he had, he sold everything and used all of that money to put up billboards all around the nation and make t-shirts that you could go online and get to talk about this one particular day that he felt like Jesus was coming and the rapture was going to happen, which, uh, anyway, that's a whole nother sermon in Bible study. And he... He spent it all, and there were other people who did the same thing, who started believing what he was saying. And my heart kind of breaks for that guy. At the time, I had a lot of fun making fun of him and and the ideas that he was portraying. But my heart kind of breaks for him because he spent all of that money. And we're still here. And he's still here. And he was wrong. And now he has to figure out what to do with the pieces that are left. 
that day, I remember uh, Michelle got mad at me because I wanted to watch the Left Behind movies. And I also remember that's back when Facebook was really, really popular and all my friends or a lot of my friends were like laying their clothes out on the couch like they were watching TV and taking a picture of their clothes with no body in them, you know? Which wouldn't have worked. I don't understand. Like the joke was funny, but it, ultimately the logic of it didn't work because how would you take a picture? If, you know what I mean. <laughs> and then some of us are old enough to remember Y2K. Remember how scary that was? Not really, but some people were super afraid, Michael, that like, were you born in 2000? I experienced Y2K. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, you're older. Yeah, 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 you're old. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. The Y2K, like, for those of you who weren't born yet, I should have done the math. I know how old you are. You're not 18. But for the people who, ex who didn't experience it, when the year 2000 rolled around, people were freaked out. They thought, like, oh, the world's going to come to an end. They were going out buying, like, pallets of ammunition and stocking up on gasoline, filling up 55 barrel drums of gasoline because they thought it was all coming down. And we, so we're all familiar with this idea, right? We're all familiar with the end. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time kind of teaching about how maybe our ideas are wrong. Just trust that we don't know what we think we know. And even when we think we don't know what we don't think we know, we still don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it's about living our lives for right here and right now. And what makes a difference right here and right now is all we can control. All of that stuff, if and when it ever happens, that's if and when it happens. And we don't have to sweat it now. Which gets to, I think, what Jesus was talking about. As he left the temple... One of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what awesome stones and buildings. So they had been in the temple, and the temple was made with like massive, massive stones. I mean, like, like humongous, humongous stones that were carved out and rolled into place and stacked upon each other with these incredible engineering feats of ancient times. And they're walking out talking about that. Like, this is amazing. Look at this place, how large these stones are. These were just like country people who made it into the city and were freaked out by all of the stuff that was around them. But just prior to that, starting with chapter 11 of Mark, Jesus is having this series of confrontations with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees Three groups of whom didn't necessarily get along theologically. It would be like the Mormons, the Baptists, and the Methodists, and the Catholics all deciding we're going to get along because we disagree with whatever this person is saying and figuring out ways that we could really, really work together. Which would be awesome, by the way. But not as like setting ourselves up against something, but maybe setting ourselves up for something that's good. That's another sermon. Give me a pen and take some notes. So he's having these confrontations, and some of them are pretty subtle, where he's telling stories called parables that's, that he's confronting the leaders of his religion and his world with. And then some of them are really overt, where he's just straight up coming at them. So like right before they walk out of the temple was what happened last week. If you were here last week, you'll remember that there was this story where Jesus is teaching in the temple, and he says, hey, 
beware of the scribes who walk around with long robes out in the marketplace. They want people to greet them honorably. And they fight really hard to have seats of honor in the synagogue. And they'll memorize really long prayers and recite them just to show off. Beware of them because they are the same people who will steal a home from a widow. And then Jesus is sitting back He's watching what's going on around him, and he sees a poor widow woman come up, and she places some two coins that together equaled one penny. She drops them into the offering bucket at the back of the temple, where he had also been watching people walk up and stuff a lot of money in there because they had wealth, and they were giving also. And he sees that. Nobody else really notices her, and he calls his disciples to him, and he says, hey, did you see see what happened? Did you see her? Of course they didn't. So he points out what had happened. They get up, they walk out of the temple, and they go, look at these big stones. They totally missed the point. But I wonder how much we miss it also. It's easy to sit back and read a story and then judge people who miss the point, right? But I think if we try to put ourselves in the story, I wonder... Well, I don't know about you, but I do know about me, and I think I do the same thing. I think I'll experience like really sacred, holy moments and then walk out and be all consumed in something else immediately. For example, we can be polarized with our news feeds. And and we can be, like, drawn into it also. I I have a hard time at night sometimes going to sleep, and it drives Michelle crazy because I'm like, I'm just going to check my news. I'm just going to check the news one more time because literally if I tap on that news app in my phone, I can swipe. You can do it too, you know. You can swipe down, and it'll refresh, and there will be another news story from, like, 30 minutes prior that wasn't there then, and you're like, oh my gosh, did you see this thing's happening? And it's nothing. It's like BuzzFeed talking about the greatest purchases on Amazon for that month or whatever, you know? And then like you swipe down again and there's going to be like some other news story that you feel like you have to read before you can go to sleep. And we're caught in this thing and it's kind of like we're walking around going, oh, look at the large stones, this is amazing. When all around us, God is doing even more amazing things and we miss it. And I think the tie-in for me to this story from last week is this. It's amazing to me that that widow gave everything. Her last two coins, she gave it. She sacrificed everything. That's pretty stinking amazing. But Jesus walks out of the temple and walks into a situation where he does the exact same thing, but it's not just of all of his stuff. It's his entire life that he sacrifices to show the world how much God loves us. And just like the widow woman wasn't noticed, neither was Jesus' sacrifice. There were a few people that noticed, like the leaders of the Roman Empire who were there and were worried about this Jewish uprising, and so they killed him because they didn't want there to be a Jewish uprising. They noticed. And then, of course, Peter noticed because he's the one who denied that he knew Jesus three times. And and John noticed because he was at the cross with Jesus' mom who definitely noticed. 
But that's kind of it. This thing happened, and it just seemed like another day, another event, another execution, and the world moves on. But we know the world doesn't just move on from that one. That unnoticed small thing changed the world, literally changed the world. And I would argue saved the world. Because as Jesus says, there's this path of destruction. But by the way, the original readers of Mark's gospel um, would have known. So like if we were Mark's community and my name was Mark and I had written this letter to bring to you and then I left town and you all passed this letter for me around like end of the week email kind of thing or something and you were reading it, you would recognize the temple had already been destroyed when they read it. And they were already being persecuted and having to flee and run to different places because Christianity was the minority religion and was changing the way things were happening around them and people didn't like it and were coming after them and persecuting them. They weren't really welcome places because they were outsiders and they were a little bit different. That happens sometimes, I hear. And then um, there were earthquakes happening and there were famines happening and there were wars that were happening and they would read this and they'd be like, yeah, that's, that's happened. We must be living in that time. And they were, but so are we. We're living in that time. That time is current and it's happening. I'm not trying to say the end of the world is imminent. I do not believe that. But I think what Jesus was saying is like, listen, look, all of these things are happening. Life goes on. Notice what's happening around you. Don't get caught up looking at the big stones in your newsfeed. Don't get caught up thinking about everything that's not important. Try to focus on the important things. But here's the truth of it. Here's the gospel. You know, I, I, every week when I start to prepare a sermon, I think like, where's the hope? And there, are, there have been times where like I'll, I'll be led to a passage to preach from and I won't be able to find hope in it. I won't be able to find gospel in it. I won't be able to find something to tell you that should give you hope. And, and, I, and I'll argue and argue and wrestle with God about that. And it's almost like I'm saying, I'm not going to let you go until you give me something hopeful. Here's the hope in this story. And it ties with last week. The widow woman... Small, frail, maybe covered with a shawl. I don't picture her as being old. I picture her as being like a 24, 25-year-old widow who's just crushed. And she's lonely and she's destitute and she's scared and her only hope is found in God. And so she goes to the temple and while she's at the temple, she says, I've got nothing else to lose. I've got nothing else to lose, literally nothing. And I'm just going to give everything I've got, and I'm just going to trust that God's going to take care of me. And she drops the things in and walks away, and nobody noticed her. Except Jesus. Jesus walks out of the temple walks into some traps, ends up getting himself crucified, and nobody notices except the criminal who was pardoned and except the crucifiers who were forgiven and except 
Peter and Peter's friends who fled the scene, who were recommissioned as apostles. No one noticed except the people who noticed. Except the people who had their lives changed. No one noticed except for Mary, who was the first one at the tomb that morning when the stone was rolled away and she saw that Jesus was not there. No one noticed except the two disciples walking down the road when Jesus appears next to them and starts talking and they still don't notice until they hear his word. No one noticed. But here's the beautiful thing. They felt unnoticed also. They felt betrayed and they felt alone until they were seen. Two weeks ago, I said, I'm pre, oh, I didn't tell you, I snuck in this whole sermon series about evangelism, because if I told you I'm preaching about evangelism, you wouldn't have come back. Two weeks ago, I set it up by saying, here's the gospel. In a nutshell, this is who we are. We're the people who believe this, that there's nothing we can do to cause God to love us more. And there's nothing we can do to cause God to love us less. We are loved. There's nothing we can do about it. But more than that, God likes us. It's not that God sees us now and loves us for what we can become, or God sees us now and loves us for what we once were. God sees us and likes exactly how we are right now and loves us and will walk with us into the transformation that God will do in our lives if we open ourselves up to that movement. And so we're set free from this performance Christianity where we think we have to do certain things to gain God's attention or to get God to forget what we used to do, right? Like we're set free from that because God loves us and likes us. And then last week I talked about how Jesus saw this lady. And it's our job to go around and see people and set them free. And I said, you work with people who are abused. You work with people whose relationships are falling apart. You work with people and live with people and see people who are lonely and lost and broken. And it's our job to bring healing to them through the gospel and through putting an arm around their shoulder and by saying, hey, how are you doing? And by offering them some sort of gift. And, and today I want to say this to you. It's not about having a bigger car or a bigger house or a bigger resume or a bigger retirement account or more followers on social media. It's not about making sure you fall into the right camp politically. None of that matters. That's the big stones that get in the way of seeing what Jesus is really about. But here's the thing, that's what we do. That's who we are. We're those people who look at the big stones and say, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Look at that. And we chase after it. But God sees us anyway. God sees us anyway. And even though Jesus saw that and was frustrated with that, he still took those steps. He still walked that road. He still climbed that mountain. He still laid on that cross. He still walked out of the tomb. That's the hope for today. You are seen, you are loved, and we, you are to go and do likewise. In the name of the creator, redeemer, and sustainer, just like a stapler with three holes in it.